You are listening to The Mystic Show, episode 130. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm your host, Chris Curran. I'm happy you're able to join me again. This is the show where we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and a lot of things that are unseen and otherworldly. All the good things in life, right? They're free. On this show, we talk about, you know, we talk about a lot of theory, but we also talk about how to implement these higher spiritual concepts into our everyday life. And the purpose of this show uh, is for you and I to grow spiritually, to be inspired to, to put in some more effort to grow spiritually. And it can be fun and relaxing at the same time, but it definitely takes some effort. We release a new episode every Friday, and you can hear our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and soon to be on TuneIn as well. And of course, our website, themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net. And you can sign up for our behind the scenes emails. And you also, when you do that, you get this audio project I made called Relax with Rumi. Relax with Rumi, where I uh, read selected Rumi quotes over relaxing music. It's really pretty cool, actually. It's like 49 minutes worth of audio. You get it for free when you sign up for the email list. So, And we have some really good questions we're going to cover today and a story. Uh, but first, I want to thank Pause Your Life. They are our sponsor, our parent organization, our sister organization. I don't know what you would consider Pause Your Life, but Pause Your Life is organizing retreats and meetups for those people in the world who need to hit the pause button on their life when life gets too too much. You need to stop the madness. Well, hit the pause button. And the website is pauseyourlife.org. So the plan for this episode is we're going to, well, I'm going to give you a lot of different questions, and I'm actually going to answer some questions, but I came across this blog post from 2009, which was written by Ian McKenzie, and I think it's from matadornetwork.com. I think it's a blog post there, and he lists 20 questions for every spiritual seeker, and the whole idea of these questions, it, it kind of provides a snapshot of your current beliefs. Uh, And they're also interesting questions to ponder. I was going to say fun questions to ponder, right? I mean, I think you could ponder and discuss these questions like on a road trip or, you know, talk about it with your friends. I mean, these are, 
you'll see. We're going to go through all 20 questions, and uh, all the 20 questions will be listed in the in the show notes for this episode as well. And I'm also going to give my answers, and you should also give your answers. Either you can comment on the post or, or just answer them for yourself. Um, these questions were actually used... Um, I think behind the scenes in the 2005 documentary film called One. And these questions were posed to various spiritual leaders, um, Deepak Chopra, Ram Das, the Dalai Lama, and I'm sure others. And I think their answers to these questions were included in, in this documentary film called One. I haven't seen it yet. Um... I don't think I've seen it. No, I, I, I haven't seen it. So w- these are interesting questions, and I'm going to go through them. So let's just get started. Um, and if we have time, I, I'm going to read a little story from this other book. I'll tell you about that. So 20 questions for every spiritual seeker. And it, you know what? Well, I talk about it in one of my answers, but let's let's just get started. Why is there poverty and suffering in the world? That's question number one. Why is there poverty and suffering in the world? And so, what's your answer? (laughs) Go. So, my answer, you know, poverty and suffering exist from a high level because each individual has to undergo the effects of his or her thoughts and actions. Kind of like, you know, most people refer to it as karma. Um, I refer to it as samskara, which is our accumulated um, impressions of our thoughts and actions. And once we accumulate them, we have to go undergo the effect of them. A famous example is, uh, you know, if you were to drink a massive amount of alcohol in the evening, you would wake up the next morning with a hangover. And um, I would suggest that God did not give you the hangover. (laughs) You gave it to yourself. And so that's the analogy. I think everything in our lives contribute to this, you know, bank of samskaras, and they they affect how our life unrolls, unravels. Um, Anyway, the good thing is you you can remove these samskaras. That's another conversation. If you want to know how to remove them, um, I know I've talked about it on a previous episode, or probably several, Um, but you can remove your samskaras and be free and clear. Okay, question number two, what is the relationship between science and religion? What is the relationship between science and religion? Well, (laughs) I don't know if this is uh, super relevant to spirituality because science is science. Science is humans being curious about the physical world and experimenting and looking and thinking, right? And and figuring out material world problems like electricity and wind and the sun and things like that. Religion? Well, religion gives us some sort of idea that there's a God. Um... It's also been said that religion is the kindergarten for spirituality. So at some point, uh, 
we have to transcend religion and move on to true spirituality or even reality. Um, so what's the relationship between science and religion? Um, I don't know. I guess they're both looking for things. Um, anyway, I don't know if that's a great answer, but maybe you have a better answer. Question number three, why are so many people depressed? Why are so many people depressed? And I would say it's because they desire so many things. And they desire, I should say we, or each of us, each of us desires so many things. So many specific things. Right? So think about it. If you had no desire for anything, everything would be fine. You'd be happy. You'd be at peace, right? It's only when we desire certain things... You know, like I want an ice cream cone. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive around because I want an ice cream cone. And if I get to the ice cream store and it's closed, I'm going to be angry. Right? Because I want my ice cream cone. Well, so the anger comes because the desire was unfulfilled. And that's it. (laughs) from a high level, that's it. That's why people are depressed or angry or anything in life because we have certain desires and if we don't get them, we're not happy. Um, and the problem is, like I said, we're so specific. Like if I said, I'm hungry, I want some food. Okay. Obviously that's a natural, you know, desire, right? That's a necessary desire. Okay, but if I say I want, you know, chocolate chip mint ice cream with whipped cream and hot fudge and a cherry on top, you know, I might go to the ice cream store. They might have everything, the ice cream, the whipped cream, the fudge, but they don't have any cherries left. Guess what? I'm not happy. I'm not fully happy. <laughs> so if if we just desire what we want, I mean, if we simply desire what we need in life, that's it. Nature provides, or and the, the, the universe provides for us somehow. Of course, we might have to work or, you know, put in effort to get our food, but it'll be there, and we'll be happy with it, whatever, whatever it is. All right. So number four, what are we all so afraid of? What are we all so afraid of? Well, I, I think we are not afraid. I think it's our ego that is afraid. And our ego is afraid of being dissolved and killed or eliminated, however you want to phrase that. I think at our core, obviously we're spiritual beings. I don't think we're, you know, I don't think we're afraid of anything in our, in our heart, in the core of our heart. But it's the ego who's afraid. The ego is afraid that, oh, I have a brand new car and I'm afraid that someone might scratch it. Or I have some money in the bank, I'm afraid someone's going to steal it. Or I want to marry this person, but I'm afraid that it won't work out. All these things. It's all ego. And again, I'm answering these from a high level, which, hello, spirituality is a high... (laughs) topic, or it should be, in my opinion. 
So I know there's a lot more, and you'll see some of these questions. There's a, you know, we can really break this into a worldly conversation if we wanted to, but that's not my purpose of including it here on the Mystic Show, for for sure. So question five, when is war justifiable? When is war justifiable? Out of all the questions, I don't like this one. You know, I think before anyone announces their opinion about war, they should attain high levels of wisdom first through spiritual practice. I mean, it's like the blind leading the blind. If I'm going to sit here and tell you what I think of war and when is war necessary, I don't know anything about war. (laughs) I don't think many people do on a spiritual level. On a physical level, fine. You have strategy and tactics and we can talk about winning, all that stuff. But but that's not... Uh, the, the question was, when is war justifiable? And so, anyway, I don't like that question. <laughs> I think, you know, the idea of war shouldn't even come into a spiritual conversation because spirituality is about you, only you, nothing else. It's not about the group you get together with. It's, it's not about anything. It's not about your family. It's not about anything. It's about you and your consciousness and you becoming a divinized person. Number six, how would God want us to respond to aggression and terrorism? How would God want us to respond to aggression and terrorism? I would say respond from your heart. And whatever form that takes is good. So if your heart says to ignore this person who's being aggressive, if your heart says just ignore him, then do it. Just ignore him. Um, if, if your heart says stop this person, then stop the person. You know, I mean, if someone comes into your house trying to steal your stuff and starts abusing and being violent toward your family, I mean, you're not just going to stand there and accept it and try to be this wonderful spiritual person. You're going you're gonna to do what you need to do. And that's okay. As long as it's from out of necessity and as, as long as it's from your heart. So again, real world situations, we could get into discussions on a zillion different scenarios. Um, and maybe you want to. Maybe you can comment on this post and give me give me your uh, opinions here. Number seven, how does one obtain true peace? How does one obtain true peace? I would say it's by regulating your mind enough so you can go beyond your mind. I think the mind is the biggest stumbling block most of us have in spirituality. And I think our mind is, you know, I think in the, uh, in the Vedas, it's, I believe I, I may be wrong, but I think in the, it's the Vedas that says your mind can be your greatest enemy, but your mind can be your greatest friend as well. So the mind is, you know, <laughs> that's sort of the field that can really hurt us. Or it can help us. If, if we regulate our mind, if we 
use our mind properly and and don't fill it with a bunch of nonsense and untruths, then our mind will really help us. But our problem is that we just let our mind run wild. We never, most human beings never even think about their mind and how they're thinking, how many thoughts they're thinking. You know, a lot of people can't sleep at night because their mind keeps going. I mean, that's not right. You should be able to sleep when you want to sleep or at least stop thinking so much when you want to stop thinking so much. Right? Or else your mind is running your life, not you. All right, number eight. What does it mean to live in the present moment? What does it... Oh, sorry. What does it mean to live in the present moment? I believe that being totally present you will take pure action from your heart. And that pure action will be appropriate for the situation. So by pure action, I mean, you know, think about it. We have all these habits and tendencies and we have all these beliefs. And when we go into any situation, we judge that situation based on all of our past habits and beliefs, right? So we're not able, if we're living in the present moment, we can see the situation for what it is without, you know, coloring it by my past experience, which I'm not saying you should forget all your past experience, but if you're living in the present and developing a higher awareness, you can be able to be in the present moment and do what is appropriate in that moment. I think, well, in terms of examples, I would say prejudice is an example. Like if you're, like if someone's prejudiced against another race or religion, you know, even if someone from the other religion is in front of you and they need help, you might not help them because they're not your friend. They're from the other religion, you know, let their own people help them. I don't need to help them. (laughs) Right? We, sometimes we can think like that, you know? But when you're a, a true human being living in the moment, if something is in front of you and there's a genuine natural need and you can help, then you would help. Your heart would help. Again, it's like thinking about mothers, right? Mothers know what to do with their kids, they help the child. They don't think about it very much. <laughs> They just do it because it's from their heart. Okay, number nine, and we're going to take a quick break in a second, but number nine. Oh, I'm about to read my answer first. No, let me read the question first. What is our greatest distraction? What is our greatest distraction? I would say it's the weight and momentum of all our quests to fulfill desires. So if you think about it, most of us are just, we have these desires and we're fulfilling these desires all day, every day. That's our life. We're fulfilling desires. And that there's a momentum to that, right? I remember this past weekend, I was updating my one of my websites and I was, I literally spent like five hours straight really working on this website. 
And I got lost in it. And there was a lot of work to do. And I just, I got it done. And right after that, I was, went to the next activity and I sort of, I was still thinking of the website a little bit, you know? So that five hours working on the website created this, some momentum. It took me a while to move on totally to the next thing, right? And that happens with all the, everything we do. So the question was, what's our greatest distraction? I think it's the you know, being busy, fulfilling desires. That's our greatest distraction. Um, Number 10, is current religion serving its purpose? Is current religion serving its purpose? I would say yes. I think religion is a base from which those who are ready will transcend religion and begin true spirituality by looking inside finding the answers inside. And and some people do that. Some people transcend the religion, but they stay in the religion too. That's okay. And anyone in any religion can achieve you know, can attain the highest spiritual goals. That's that's not a problem. So it just comes down to you know, transcending the the worldly man-made aspects of religion, which if you're listening to this show, you probably feel the same way. Um, and if you don't, that's okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep, keep getting, keep improving the way you want to improve. That's all. Okay. Number 11, what happens to you after you die? What happens to you after you die? I would say that any remaining you know, samskaras, which are impressions, which are, you know, in a sense, the seeds of desires, um, any remaining impressions, they stay with you and they cause you to be reborn, which is another chance for you to work off those impressions. So somehow those impressions, they sort of, they're, they're, they're spiritual seeds that sort of stick that are somehow stuck onto our soul, if you will. And I'm just using plain language because then we can understand it. But, you know, when we accumulate these samskaras, they, 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 like they stick to us and we can clean them off or we can work them off through experience. Um, but when we die, those spiritual seeds stay with the soul and then, then the soul has to come back into a body to clean itself, purify itself by undergoing the effects of those samskaras. So anyway, um, a little deep. <laughs> Do you agree with that? What's your opinion? You can comment, you know. All right, number 12, describe heaven and how to get there. Describe heaven and how to get there. I would say heaven is inside you always, but you cover it up with mounds of desires and uncontrollable thinking and action. So one way to think of heaven, it's a, it's a state of consciousness, and I believe it's already in you, but we're just covering it up with all our desires and our worldly life and, you know, everything. 
you know, everything. <laughs> that includes everything. All right. Number 13. What is the meaning of life? Oh, boy. What is the meaning of life? My answer would be that you have to find out for yourself. You see how I did that right there? Yep. Number 14. Oh, my. Describe God. Describe God. Well, if you listen to episode 128, where I talk about the center, I talk a lot about God and the center. So that's episode 128. You can go back and hear that one. But how would you describe God? Right? Okay. So number question 15, and I'm going to read the question, and then we're going to take a quick little break. Very short break. Um, What is the greatest quality humans possess? What is the greatest quality humans possess? I'll let you ponder that. We'll just take a quick break. Okay, welcome back to The Mystic Show. And uh, real quick, if you want to support the show, one way you can do it is to share the show on your social media, you know, your Facebook and your Twitter. Um, And you can also give a rating or a review to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. That helps the show a lot. And we also have a page set up to accept small donations for each episode, um, you can go to the website and find out more about that. Again, the website is themysticshow.net. All right. So the question we left off with was, what is the greatest quality humans possess? My answer would be um, access to higher levels of consciousness. So, humans are called Homo sapiens sapiens, right? Because we can think about thinking, right? Like, you're sitting where you are right now, or you're standing where you are, or you're running where you are. You are where you are right now, and you also know that you're there, right? Whereas, like an animal, let's say a dog, they might be laying on the floor, and they know they're they they know they're laying on the floor, but they don't know that they know they're laying on the floor. It's like humans have this higher consciousness, and it's obvious, but um, it's far above animals. Well, the potential for it is far above animals. <laughs> How we use it is that's up to us. That's up to you. So I think that's the the greatest quality that humans possess is that the higher consciousness, which we don't even know how high, right? That's what you have to figure out here. (laughs) That's why you're on this journey. And that's why we meditate to find out the answer 
you know, what is the highest level of consciousness of a human being? Well, let's find out. All right, question 16. What is it that prevents people from living to their full potential? What is it that prevents people from living to their full potential? My simple answer would be habits and programming. I think our habits really constrain us. And our programming and our upbringing, we're like wind-up toys. We just, this is how we do it. We've always done it this way. This is how we live. And anything that comes up, we just judge it against the, our beliefs and then we, we just live. So that's not, you know, again, I talked earlier about pure action. And so, so you know, only living in your habits and your programming that is what prevents people from living to their full potential. So breaking out of our habits and our programming, which by the way, those are, you know, those pesky samskara things as well. The impressions, right? The habits and programming are the tendencies built on top of those impressions. So, so you can change your habits and your programming um, and you can do it with help spiritually um, anyway, that's a whole nother show, right? Okay, number 17. Non-verbally, by motion or gesture only, act out what you believe to be the current condition of the world. Non-verbally, by motion or gesture only, act out what you believe to be the current condition of the world. All right, well, I, you won't see me if I act anything out, but... The current condition of the world in terms of audio, and I'm not going to make a sound, (laughs) I'm going to describe the sound. Picture like loud rock music playing, right? Imagine that. Imagine loud rock music playing, and in the very, very, very background, very background, there's the voice of God, which is whispering very softly. And when the rock music is playing loud, you can't even hear God's voice. And by the way, I also mean the voice of your own conscious conscience. That's also connected to God. So if you don't want to think of it in terms of hearing God's voice, think of it in terms of hearing your own conscience and your own higher wisdom from inside yourself. But the world is so crazy and loud and noisy that this little voice of God or the little voice of your conscience, little voice of divinity inside yourself, you can't hear it. That's why when we bring down the rock music, (laughs) bring it down, turn it off. (laughs) Then we can start to listen and hear, right? Okay, number 18. What is your one wish for the world? What is your one wish for the world? Well, I really don't have one. I mean, again, from a higher level, I mean, I think God or the universe has everything covered. You know, everything's in control. <laughs> I, you know, there no, you don't need any wish from me for anything. I'm just, I'm just here at the party with with you. So, by the way, our wishes almost always come from the ego. 
So that's that's a side note. But if I did had to, if I was going to wish anything for um, the world, I would say relax, hit the pause button on your life, turn down all the noise, and look inside. Number 19, what is wisdom and how do we gain it? What is wisdom and how do we gain it? Well, wisdom comes from learning and feeling. And by feeling, I don't mean emotion. I mean feeling. There's a big difference there. Feeling is like the fire and emotion is like the smoke coming off the fire. That's a very good analogy. Um, yeah, so wisdom comes from learning and an individual gains it when he or she is a sincere seeker of becoming a divinized human being. You know, if someone's on their spiritual path and they're sincere and they really want to learn and they really want to become a better person or become a better human being or become a divinized human being, that's when that individual will start to learn wisdom. Obviously, if, if someone thinks they already know everything and you, they don't need to learn anything, they're obviously in the dark, right? It's very clear. And they're going to remain in the dark until they wake up. And we don't know when that is, but someday they will wake up. Okay, number 20. This is the last question. And, um, okay. Are we all one? Are we all one? My feeling is that in essence, yes. You know, in essence, we are one. I mean, the universe is one, right? There's one universe. Or there's one galaxy, right? We're all in the same universe. So technically, we are all one thing, right? Um, But in material form, obviously, I have a physical human body and you have a physical human body and they're not the same body. So in material form, there are differences. But again, when you raise your sights up and think from a higher level, we're, we're really we are one and think of it this way if i if i was to shave my beard right which i actually just did <laughs> this past week and my wife doesn't recognize me anymore but if i shave my beard your world changes right cuz part of your world was chris with a beard right and now now your world has Chris with no beard, right? So your world changed. That's deep. That's really deep. <laughs> so these are the 20 questions. Again, it's just, you know, interesting to think about, fun to talk about, but it also can give like a little clue into your thoughts and beliefs about spirituality. And these things are, I would almost say, definitely going to change over time, right? As your awareness grows, your beliefs will change. You know, you'll be you'll gain more wisdom, maybe you'll become more profound, more simple. Um, but sort of right now where you are, your beliefs right now, these 20 questions are really good. So uh, I mean, they're interesting. 
I wouldn't say they're good because well they are they're not bad <laughs> see now I got myself in a pickle they're not bad but on the spiritual journey again from a very high level it's not even necessary to to answer all these questions to contemplate these things if we meditate and and do our spiritual practice and live from our heart and serve others I think we will become what we need to become just by doing that. But, um, and that's actually one of the differences between Westerners and Easterners is that in the West and in America, we're very intellectual. So we want the intellectual answer. We want to talk about these 20 questions. I need answers to these 20 questions. (laughs) That's what your, that's what an American mind is saying. No, we need, we need answers. (laughs) So I want to end with a story. I mean, I'm not sure how long exactly this episode is right now. I think it's been about 38 minutes. I do want to read you this story. Uh, And what I'm going to do, I'm going to say goodbye first, and then I'm going to read the story. And then when I'm done reading the story, then this episode will just end. Okay, so... um, so this, but before I introduce the story again, thanks for listening to the Mystic Show. Um, on the website, we have all 129 previous episodes are there, and I was just looking the other day. I mean, I've covered so much material. I might have to start going back and talking about certain topics again, um, or just get more creative. But anyway, on the website, themysticshow.net, there's a lot of material there. Feel free to listen. And by the way, a lot of the earlier episodes I used to do live and I used to do a one hour show. And I used to do one show every day of the week (laughs) for an hour. So, and I used to take live phone calls as well. So, if you listen to some, you know, probably starting with episode one up until about episode, I don't know, 75. You'll hear me say, oh, and you can call in right now. And I, I give the phone number, uh, but don't call because <laughs> that phone number is not hooked up anymore. Um, so thanks for listening to The Mystic Show. This story is from a book called Kindness, a treasury of Buddhist wisdom for children and parents, collected and adapted by Sarah Conover and illustrations by Valerie Wall. And this story is called When the horse runs off. Long ago, in a country where the mountains are among the world's loftiest, there lived an old farmer and his son. The boy spent his days attending to the work of the farm and their one horse, a beautiful white stallion. After years of careful training, the horse ran swifter and smoother than any other in the region. But one day, father and son awoke to find their cherished animal missing. The son was heartbroken. Neighbors gathered round the two and lamented their great loss. But the father gazed calmly past the villagers to the surrounding high peaks. We shall see, he said. We shall see if this is good or if this is bad. After a week, the magnificent horse returned, followed by an equally fine 
wild mare. Father and son soon tamed the new animal. This time, the neighbors praised the old man's remarkable luck. He was now the wealthiest man in town. He owned the two very best horses. But the farmer simply smiled and remarked, Oh, of course I am pleased. But who knows if this is lucky or unlucky. And so it came to pass that one day, while racing their splendid horse across the field, the sun fell off and broke both legs badly. While the boy's wounds were cleaned and splinted by the doctor, the villagers bemoaned the family's terrible misfortune. But the father, calm as ever, took comfort in his boy. He is alive. That is all that counts, replied the old man. His legs will heal in time. I cannot know if these injuries will turn out to be something good or something bad. The very next week, a battalion of soldiers marched into the village. A war to the north was underway, and all young men of fighting age were needed immediately. Mothers and fathers gathered food and warm clothing for their boys. With sorrowful goodbyes, they reluctantly let their sons join the soldiers. But alas, there was one boy in the village left behind in his bed, for it was obvious his wounds would take many months to heal. The neighbors envied the farmer's good fortune. Of all the young men in town, his son was the only one not taken to war. The old farmer looked out across his fields at the two fine horses grazing. He looked at the lovely way the sun caught the tops of the jagged peaks in the distance, smiled, and said nothing at all. <laughs>